Hello, and welcome to Happy, Funny, Amazing, the podcast where guests tell me their happiest, funniest, and most amazing true stories. Today, I'm excited to welcome two exceptional storytellers and writers, both of whom have made a mark in the television industry. Judy Holm, co-president of Markham Street Films, and Paul Mather, television writer and showrunner. Judy has produced several films and documentaries, including the viral sensation Catwalk, Tales from the Cat Show Circuit. If you haven't watched it yet, honestly, it's so good, and you can still catch it on CBC Gem. And you probably know Paul Mather from his work on popular Canadian shows like 22 Minutes, The Rick Mercer Report, and Corner Gas. Today, both of my guests are going to share very different stories about overcoming adversity. I'm going to start with Judy, and it's probably worth noting that before she became a writer and producer, Judy worked in the fashion industry as a model. So welcome, Judy. Is your story happy, funny, or amazing? Joanne, it's lovely to hear you. And I was trying to figure this out. I think it might be a little bit of at least two of them. It's a little bit, I think it's a little bit funny. I think it's a little bit amazing. Uh, Okay, I was happy when it was over. (laughs) Okay, well, that's perfect then. All three. I'm very excited. (laughs) Well, whenever you're ready, why don't you begin and, and tell me your story? Okay, I am going to tell you a story about a fashion show that I did. Okay. In 1981. Now, to give you a little bit of a, a, a setup, because in those days, I modeled from I don't know, sort of mid-70s to mid-80s <clears throat> when I uh, stopped doing it full-time because it was so just deeply boring. <laughs> But there were uh, there was a group of us who who did all the runway shows together, all the old couture shows, and mm-hmm. and we worked a lot out of Montreal. And Montreal at that time, and I guess forever before that, had a huge fur industry, and all the designers designed fur coats and all of that. So we got hired, not a whole lot of us, maybe four or five to do, and I enjoy saying this all the time, the fur fair in Frankfurt. That's pretty great. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of great. You can say it at night when you're trying to go to sleep. Fur Fair in Frankfurt. Yep, that's it. And it was a big market, right? So there were, it wasn't particularly designers. It was a huge market and there were shows from all sorts of different countries. So we were doing the Canada show and they it was being produced by a woman who was a big deal in fashion in Montreal and she had brought her sister along who had as far as I know never worked on a a show to deal with backstage and they hired a lot I want to say somewhere between 10 and 20 German models to fill out the ranks wow and they brought a guy who I knew along to sort of and then he got me to do it to sort of work with the German models and help them understand what we did, which is what was popular back then, was formations, right? So we would do, you know, you do diamonds down and people would be going back and through them. And and it was very, um, they didn't like it anyway. <laughs> well, how would they, how was that different from what they did? I, you know, I didn't ask because they weren't really friendly at all. And I sometimes I slip into a really bad German accent when I tell this story. So... They, you know, they just said, no, we don't do 
acclamations. And I was like, well, you know, okay, well, we have to for this show. So, And we had a rehearsal, uh, a run through the day before. On the main day, there would be two shows, one in the afternoon and then a big glitzy show in the evening. The shows were the same. Mm-hmm. The day before we went down and there were no clothes there. We just said, oh, okay, you know, it was the day before, fine. So we did the walkthrough and noted the songs we were supposed to go out to and who we were with and all of that. Then the next day, I think there were four of us who were good friends from Canada. And we went down. Usually we'd go down about an hour, hour and a half before, but we went down about two or three hours because we were sort of nervous because there had been no clothes the day before. And What do you mean? There, there had been no clothes for you to wear? Yes. So all the, the racks, uh, yeah, there were no clothes there. Usually when we did a, a walkthrough or a dress rehearsal, we would have on everything that we would have on in the show. I see. And so the few hours before the actual show we went down, there were racks with people's names on them, but nothing on the racks. Oh, God. So we went rooting around the room to see what we could find, and we found all these huge boxes uh, still with custom tape on them so we found something to cut through the custom tape and and it was all the clothes not the furs but all the clothes under them because they were whole outfits right like tops and bottoms and jackets and gloves and hose and shoes and earrings and all of that stuff and we were doing our own hair and makeup because you have to have like a chignon and then like big red lips so that all you saw was the coat so we got all the clothes out and eventually the woman who's supposed to look after backstage showed up and so we said okay great over to you and then we came down and the setup was it was a convention center right so the stage had been set up up front and there was a curtain and then there was backstage and when we were down there setting the clothes up I noticed that you know there was sort of like a waist-high divider and then there was a big kitchen and oh that's weird but you know I'm sure nobody's having food at the show so it'll be okay we came down just before the show and the kitchen was full of waiters bustling around with food. And I thought, well, you know, there's nothing we can do about it now. So we were changing. My rack was you know, like 10 feet from the kitchen. So the first outfit that we had to do, I, I was leading a group of about six models out in the first outfit. And it was Canada, right? So it was like Coeur de Bois. So the outfits were like Madeline Kahn and Blazing Saddles, right? We had corsets, little fur corsets on. Fur corsets? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the strapless bones in them going down your waist, and then the bottom completely uh, surrounded with like fox fur tails, so they would like bounce along with you all. And I was like flat as a board, right? So s- strapless things were not my friend. And then it was a tap dance number. So we were coming out to, I think it was white hat and tails. You know that one, I'm putting on my top hat. So we had tap shoes and black mesh stockings, top hats, and cane. Right, And the tap shoes had been painted silver and they weren't dry. Right, So we'd say, don't touch the shoes when you're putting them on. We're like, well, how do you put shoes on without touching them? The silver so, paint is wet. So silver, oh. not yet. So we all had like silver bits on our hands and the shoes had a couple of dark smudges on them. And my dresser 
is having a really hard time getting my corset on. I'm thinking, what is happening? And after a while, I realized that she speaks no English. None of the dressers spoke English. It was just German. And I do not, schön is the only word I know in German. Well, no, I, I guess I know how to say thank you. So she was pulling and pulling and pulling. And finally, it seemed to be done up. And I thought, okay, I'm ready to go out. Judy, I have to pause and ask, do you know how to tap dance? I did know how to tap dance. Okay. I took lessons in Toronto with, um, oh my God, what was his name? He was this wonderful dancer. He would bring like people from Alvin Alien when they were in town and we would dance with him. So yes, I could shuffle ball change with the best of them. Okay. <laughs> so it's ready. You know, the lights go down. We're, we're going to go on. And I head out with this. And we have our arms around each other, right? We're doing this shuffle ball change. And about four feet out onto the ramp, the entire sole of my right tap shoe comes off. And it's just connected at the end of the toe. <laughs> so I'm thinking, oh, what can I do? And what I realized that if I kind of slid my foot out, it wouldn't make, because it was going like off. If I slid it out, it would just do a couple of them. And I thought, okay, I can deal with this. And we're supposed to like serpentine along the stage and then head down the ramp. And the stage is covered in dry, like fake snow, right? So like, it's Canada, right? So they're like, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? (laughs) I know. Because we've, I've done shows in that before and everybody just slipped and fell on their asses. So we're being careful. So my shoe is off. I mean, the sole is off. And then about six or eight bars of music after that, the tap dance song turns into a waltz, right? And I'm thinking, boy, what can we do? You know, we were doing the slowest shuffle ball change in the history of dance. And I thought, I'm just (laughs) going to lead them off. That's all I can do. So I led them off. And then we got changed. And when my dresser was uh, taking, she had a hard time getting it off as well, the corset. And when she finally got it off, I realized that the reason she was having such a hard time putting it on was that it was on inside out. Oh, no. Everybody else had this sort of like furry outsides, and I had these like raw skins. (laughs) With the bones, with the boning of the... Yeah, 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 which I didn't even notice because it got on so late. Anyway, so that was that. And then a few outfits went okay, and then... One outfit came along, and our group was lined up. There were just one group ahead of us to go on. And the music changed, and I thought, I know that music. That's not what's supposed to come before us. That comes, like, two outfits later. And I I turned to our group, and I said, okay, we have to go change. We have to go change. And the woman who was producing the show was going, where are you going? And I go, oh, no, 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 you wait. You see, it'll be – it's going to work out. And we changed, and we came back, and we were – on the right song, and then it sort of carried on from there. There was one other thing that happened. Well, there was a uh, male model who was also a dancer and a choreographer who had come to do it. And we were doing our 
you know, flying wedge down the, the ramp and we were supposed to go down. And as we came back, he was supposed to come out and then go through us and then we would leave. And the flying wedge is the formation that the German models hated. Well, they hated all of them. I think they just were used to just walking around on their own. But the flying but, wedge yeah. is an example of a formation. It was an example, yeah, okay. yes, <laughs> one of them. You know, and it's actually very pretty, you know, it's sort of like very basic Busby Berkeley, you know, because you go down in a V and then when you turn around, you come through each other and... You know, they don't do those things anymore. So we went down, we came back. No, his name was Len Nolan. We went down, we came back. Still no. We went down, we went down and back like five times. And finally, I know, I mean, the audience that we were getting like, what the hell? Finally, we turned around. And as we were coming back up towards the stage, he left out from backstage it seemed like 25 feet so angry like his eyes were glaring at us and we came back up sort of going oh my god what's you know we were a little nervous of him but he you know came through and then we went off stage it turned out he had this um one-piece jumpsuit he was supposed to wear and when he went to put it on the legs were still tied together with custom tags that nobody could, like, scissors won't cut them, right? So they were running around trying to. Yeah, so when he finally leapt onto stage, he was beside himself. And we finished the show, and I was getting changed, and I had just, you know, maybe I had pantyhose on and uh, panties and nothing on the top, and I started to hear these sounds coming from over where the stairs to go on stage were, and another uh, mom and I ran over and the woman who was producing the show was having a seizure on the ground. And I thought when I realized that, like, so to the last half of the show, she had been because she should be sort of standing at the top of the stairs with her line, you know, sending people on. And I realized that she hadn't done that for about the last three scenes. And she had just started slowly turning into the curtain and wasn't responsive. So she was there having a seizure and another of our friends from Toronto who we used to call her the nurse because she would always help out in situations like this when in fact, like her experience was, um, she had been a, a dental assistant. Oh, but whatever, she's willing to get in there and help. Better than nothing. She said, I need cold towels. So this other uh, model and I ran to the kitchen like half naked with like pushing the waiters out of the way grabbing some towels, putting them under the cold water tap and bringing them back. And to be clear, you actually still are naked from the waist up. Yep. Yes. Okay. Just to be certain. (laughs) Which would, you know, be much more of an issue for another person who actually had breasts. I mean, I was still naked, but, you know, there was nothing moving. So anyway, we get back to, to, you know, and we get dressed and the German models are all going around saying, this is so humiliating. I've never been through anything like this before. I'm just, you know, and we're like, oh, you know, fine. <laughs> so, so we went out and had a drink, and and. But know. but I but I have to quickly back. What happened to the woman right. having the seizure? Oh oh oh! The uh, ambulance came to her way. Oh, okay. Yeah. And do we know? Did she survive? Was she? She survived. Yes, yes. It, it just was a she. She. Um, uh, was very high strung. And I mean, I had never before or after that in my entire modeling career 
been through anything like that. And it was her show, right? So I might have had the same reaction. <laughs> so we all went and had a drink. And uh, there was another show in the evening. And it did go fine, even without the producer. But um, there you go. It's the worst <laughs> fashion show I ever did. Oh, my God, Judy. <laughs> did anybody get in trouble? Like, was anybody mad? Like, who would be the person who would scold people for things gone wrong? Interesting. The models weren't scolded. I don't know what happened with the producer. I think she was um, such a perfectionist. I'm pretty sure her personal shame almost took her down. But do you know what happened? I realized I forgot to say what happened with the music was this was 1981, so there was still tape machines. So the music guy had an attack of the shits and left to the bathroom and left his machines going, and they just skipped. <laughs> Did he? So he just left his station? He just... Well, you know, he had the tapes going, and they were all timed. It was, you know, he just... <laughs> but... But they were tapes. <laughs> oh, my God. Now he could control it from the bathroom. So nobody got in trouble. So this woman, so do you think her seizure was because she was so horrified at how bad the show was going? Yeah. 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 Because she was a perfectionist. And she was a big deal in Montreal, right? Like she could make or break Canadian designers' careers. And she, um Yeah. She was a, a, a shortish, she was wonderful, right? Very smart, incredibly stylish. She was also very large bosomed. Right? So she loved me because I was not. <laughs> so in your opinion, if you look back on that show, why did that happen? Why were the shoes painted so late? Why were the boxes not unpacked with the clothes? Why was the guy's pants still had customs tape around it? Like who, how did that happen? You know, I never really found out. I think some of it was inexperience because it was the sister who was charged with looking after backstage and yeah, I think that's the reason. It was just a, a little inexperience in backstage. There may have been other things which I know nothing about, right? There may have been on the German end, on the market end, they may not have gotten in touch with the airport soon enough and got closed. There could have been any number of things that happened that weren't the fault of, you know, the people producing the show. Well, I thank you for telling me that story. I think you were right. I think your original assessment was right. I think it was definitely funny. I think it was definitely amazing that you got through half naked with your shoe falling off and your corset on backwards. Um, and I can see why you would have been happy when it was over. And thank you so much for coming on Happy Funny Amazing. You are welcome. It was fun. I reached Judy at her home in beautiful Stratford, Ontario, where Markham Street Films is now located. And if you would like to see a photo of her modeling a fur coat in the 80s, you can. Just make your way to the Happy Funny Amazing Podcast Instagram or Facebook page. And now for a story from Paul Mather. Hi, Paul. Thank you so much for coming on Happy, Funny, Amazing. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Thanks, Joanne. Yeah, it's, it's good to be here on a podcast. <laughs> Is your story happy, funny, or amazing? Well, 
it's got a dark part, so I'm not going to say it's happy. Okay. I hope it's funny, but that puts a lot of pressure on me. So I'm going to say it's amazing because I think my story is going to end with an amazing fact about physiology. That's the punchline to this story. It's going to be like, it's going to take us a while to get there, but we're going to learn a fact about the human biology. That will be amazing. I love learning amazing facts. So <laughs> I am super curious and intrigued. Can I tell you, just speaking of podcasts, this is just an aside. I was talking to my kids mm-hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago, and my daughter is 21, and my son is 19. And my other daughter is 17, but she wasn't in that conversation. And I was mentioning that podcasts used to used to listen upon on your iPod. And they were both their jaws dropped and they're like, is that why they're called that? Like they had no idea that it's because it was, you used to listen to it on your iPod. It's a podcast. It casts to your iPod. It was just a word that it existed in the world for them their whole lives. And they had no idea the entomology. Be honest with you, Paul. You didn't know that either. You already taught me a fact. We're not even like... Like, I probably knew that because I certainly had an iPod. So yeah. it makes sense that I would have known that, but I may have forgotten. I would love to do a poll to know Who, how, how many people know yeah. that is from iPod. But of course it is. Yeah. Well, and they this, used to call the thing that you listen to or that you subscribe to the podcast was called a pod catcher because it caught the <laughs> it caught the podcast. <laughs> Well, if if yeah. the learning in this story is going to be as that's great as that I'm original, learning. Learning. <laughs> that's so interesting. Though that's crazy that I forgot <laughs> that. That's crazy. There must right. be a lot of words like that that have some meaning that we don't know. Right? Oh, I'm sure uh, all yeah. of all of the words I imagine all of them, has yeah. some, <laughs> some meaning starting from yeah. somewhere. Um, okay, well, whenever you're ready, tell us your story. Okay, so as I said, the sort of punchline to this is a physiology. It takes a while to get there, maybe. So this is a pandemic story. This takes place during what my friends called the high pandy, Mm -hmm. which is the cute name for the pandemic, even though it wasn't really a cute thing. And for most people like that year, 2020 was like, this is just awful. And that was the case for me. But, and this is why this is maybe not like a a happy story. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had already had two terrible years before that that were like this is the worst year and then the next year like 2018 was like the worst year and then 2019 was worse oh god so what happened is i had been married for 18 and a half years and i'd been dating her since high school so our relationship lasted almost as long as east germany <laughs> oh my god it's a long time yes it's a long time But around 2017, things weren't going so well. And eventually uh, we separated and then we moved towards divorce. So that was already a bad thing. I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah, but it's also change in life. And I think sometimes people staying together when they should get divorced is sadder. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, it was certainly a trauma. And to kind of compound things, we lived in LA. We had moved down there from Toronto when we got divorce, my ex decided she wanted to move back to Toronto and take the kids. And I didn't want her to go. So that led to a very contentious and expensive divorce, which is a whole different conversation about the sort of divorce industrial complex. And I have very 
jaded feelings mm-hmm. about the way the whole system works to it really they're just pulling money out of you that's my yeah. opinion mm-hmm. um anyway i learned a lot next divorce is going to go much smoother <laughs> um so I did, there was this big court battle which was very stressful and she ended up winning and she took the kids and when she went to toronto which is terrible so now i'm in los angeles my kids are three thousand miles away or whatever the distance is and i just had turned 50 uh happy and, birthday uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was I was depressed. Yeah. And I'd been working during the divorce, but the show got canceled and I was having trouble kind of self-starting and getting more work. So I was really I wasn't unemployed, but I was underemployed. So I was I had gone through all my savings in this court battle oh, and then lost. And then the the kids were three thousand miles away. I was stuck here by myself. I turned 50, so now I was old and I didn't have any money and I wasn't working. So I was like, this is terrible. Things can't get any worse. Mm -hmm. That was 2019. So then, (laughs) so then this pandemic starts. (laughs) Uh, So right off, travel to Canada to see the kids (gasps) is impossible. Oh, no. So, and I'm kind of broke anyway, and it's already expensive to go back and forth. So travel to see the kids is basically impossible. Travel to see my parents is basically impossible. So I'm isolated. I'm stuck in California, sort of by myself. And it shut down all TV production. So there's no work. So it's like, there's no work. I'm stuck by myself in this little apartment. I'm 50 years old. And I was taking the pandemic seriously. So I was, I don't know. I washed my food maybe like once or twice. And then we I was like, did. this is we stupid. We all did once or yeah. twice. Yeah. But I was pretty, like I would, anything I brought back from the store, I would like leave it in the corner for like, a day because the virus couldn't live in the air for more than a day or whatever it was. And then I would pack it away. I remember making, they told us we had to wear masks in LA. uh, I think a little bit before they had to in Canada, but there were no masks available. So I can remember making one out of a t-shirt or like instructions that I found online. And then like the first time you're walking into the store wearing this mask and you're like, are they going to shoot me? Cause they think I'm robbing the store. (laughs) So it was, it was a trip. So I, and I was taking very, I bought a little, uh, a brass thing that I kept in my back pocket to, to open doors so that you didn't have to touch the door. It's like a little hook. Oh, wow. You were yeah. serious. I was serious. Yeah. yeah. And all these things, a lot of them weren't necessary, but we didn't know. Yeah. So anyway, I was completely isolated in this little one bedroom apartment where I was living in Los Angeles. And it's like, I'm living, I'm paying rent to live in Los Angeles, but I can't like do anything. Everything's closed. I could be on the moon. So I felt like that astronaut that in like the 80s, the cosmonaut that got sent up to whatever the Russian space station was. And then the Soviet Union collapsed and they couldn't bring him back down. He was just stuck up there for like a year. I felt like that guy. I was just in this little apartment. And it was even a little bit like, I didn't want to go get my hair cut or you you couldn't even. So I was like shaving my head. Yeah, everything was closed. Yeah. So I was like using clippers to shave my head. So at one point I'm like stuck in my apartment because of this weird virus. Everybody's just wearing like kind of sweatpants and a t-shirt. I've got a shaved head and I only talk to people through video screens. Like, so that was pretty terrible. So Christmas by myself, my parents sent me a robot vacuum because I'd, I'd mentioned that I thought that'd be a cool thing to own. So I was just like by myself with this robot vacuum going around okay. telling myself it's not Christmas. It's just a Tuesday, right? Like I was just like, there's no Christmas this year. So. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. So far, this is a sad story. So this, this all sucked. So I was in therapy because I mentioned I was depressed 
And I was like diagnosed as depressed. And I should say, like, I've lived sort of a charmed life up until it felt as little bit like instead of the misfortune in my life being sprinkled out that I'd had like this great sunshiny life. And then they're like, we're just going to give you the same amount of sadness everybody else happens, but it's all going to happen in two years. <laughs> but I was in therapy and that was going well. And I was actually holding, I, I barely remember this year. It's not like I was walking over. I was just numb. And my therapist was like, you should start dating again. And I had done a little bit of dating before the pandemic, but I was like, I'm not going to date during the pandemic because you can't touch anyone. Like, what's the point of dating if you can't kiss anybody or anything? Like, what's the point? I just I just need to ask a quick question because I just need to circle back to this. And so sure. you and your ex-wife had been together since high school? Correct. So you hadn't dated much in... No, that's its own story, actually, that's interesting. I went from dating in the late 80s. I'd been single. We'd broken up for a little while in the 90s and then got back together. Mm -hmm. So I went from dating in the 90s to Black Mirror dating in the year 2018 where it's all through phones, right? Like it was a very strange jump for me. It was a very strange jump for me. And I still like, I didn't really date enough that I really understand the whole Tinder world and messaging people and all that stuff. I don't know if anybody likes that. I feel like this is one of the improvements that have been made by technology that actually isn't an improvement and nobody likes it. Mm -hmm. But hold that thought because at the end of the story, it might seem differently. So yeah, so that had been weird. Now I had been dating a little bit before the pandemic, some very nice women, but it just, you know, didn't quite click. So my therapist was like, maybe you should start dating again. And I was like, you know, I don't know what the point is. And also this pandemic's going to end in like a month. So I'll just do it in a month. And then it's like, oh, the pandemic's going to end in like two months. Like I remember, yeah, I'll be like two weeks. We'll be locked up or whatever. So eventually I figured out that this is like not ending anytime soon. Right. So I was like, well, I might as well just look into this dating thing. And I remember I'd said to my therapist, I'm not sure I want to date because I'm kind of such a mess right now. I'm supposed to be this big shot TV writer and so successful and blah, blah, blah. And right now I'm like this unemployed divorced guy living in an apartment by himself with a robot vacuum as his friend. (laughs) There's your next (laughs) show. Yeah. Wearing wearing sweatpants, you know, it's like sometimes it's like I'm going to get dressed up and you'd put on your jeans to take out the garbage. And that was getting dressed up. Mm-hmm. But my therapist was like, well, maybe they'll see you as resilient. You're like a person trying to do something, you know, and I was like, mm, maybe. So I went on Bumble, which is the dating app where the women have to talk first, which women like, because I guess men send creepy messages. Mm-hmm. But also it's good for me because who wants to talk first? That's harder. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I went on Bubble and I eventually matched with this woman named Irene, who is my current girlfriend. Oh, was she your first match? She was not my, I had gone out with a couple people before the pandemic, but nothing that really clicked. So I matched with this woman, Irene, and she had been, I think, I don't want to give too, I don't want to like talk about her personal life, but she stopped dating for a while. So this was like a new thing for her as well. So we're both about the same age. We're starting to date in the middle of a pandemic. So the first time we agreed to speak, it was over Zoom and she set it up. She's like, we could do like a 15 minute Zoom and just see if we like each other. And I thought, oh, this is really good. She's like, that's smart because it's got a timeline on it. I found out later, Irene loves to take classes and she was actually taking a dating course, a dating class 
And this was the advice of how to how to date that people. That exists? Over yes. There is a class for just about everything, and Irene has taken it. <laughs> <laughs> um, she loves taking classes because she was like, I'm going to get back into dating. I haven't been dating for a while. I'm going to take a course. Oh, my God. That's hysterical. Yeah. So we had this first Zoom, and it was very nice. I can't remember what we talked about, but I thought she was cute. So we agreed to have a couple, like the second Zoom date, we're going to have a drink and it was open-ended. Like the third Zoom date was we're going to watch a movie. So I set up like this, I'm a bit of a computer geek. So I figured out how to make it so that I could, she picked the movie. She wanted to see Tootsie, uh, which I'd never seen actually. Holy old school. Yeah. I don't know why. I figured out a way to make it so that I we could watch the movie over Zoom and she could see it. And it worked pretty well. It actually felt like we were like sitting on the couch together and watching a movie. And, and that was a success. And that was fun. It felt like we were together. So it was a pretty successful date. So eventually she was shooting at the time. She's an actor. And she was like, I, I don't want to meet you in person until I'm done shooting. Because if I got COVID, it would screw up the set. But then she finished shooting and she's like, do you want to go on a date in person? And I said, yes. So this would be like our fourth date, our fifth date. So it's pretty funny because it was like we went to meet in a park because by this point we realized outdoors was safer. Right. But people were still wearing masks and standing six feet apart. So we met for this date and it wasn't just a park. I can't remember the name of the park. It's here in LA, sort of out by Pasadena. It's like a um, horticultural thing where there's different types of plants and they're all labeled, you know, and you can learn about the plants. It's that kind of a thing. I love that stuff, by the way. Give me any information plaque that I can read. Yes. Yeah. I get so excited. <laughs> if anybody's bothered to put up a plaque and I have time, I read it because it's too. probably interesting. Otherwise, why is it there? Yeah. So we're walking through this park six feet apart. I think I actually had my, my hands behind my back, like holding them, like, you know, holding them behind. I can't, it's a podcast. So you can't see, but like holding them behind your back, like Spock or somebody walking through this horticultural park. It was very Victorian. All we needed was a, a chaperone following behind us, right? It felt very Victorian. So we were walking through the park chatting and then we had a coffee and I took the mask off and we were like across the table and drinking coffee outdoors. It was very nice. But we did both think it was funny that this was our date that we were like, Surreal. it was Victorian. Yeah. Yeah. So fast forward, we had a couple more in-person dates, a similar thing. And we finally went down to Echo Park, which is here in LA. It's got like a, it's like a artificial, I don't know if it's a man-made lake or what it is, but it's got like um, a fountain that comes out and you go on like little boats that look like uh, swans. It's that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but there's a park around it and there's like a neighborhood there. And we met there. And at this point, they just reopened the bars and the restaurants but you weren't supposed to share a table with somebody who wasn't in your family. But oh, yeah. I don't think anyone was doing that. Yeah. And so we'd gone walking through the park and, and then we were like, I think I was walking her back to her car or something. And I saw the patio was open and I was like, Oh, we could have a beer. Like I could have a beer. Like I hadn't been to a bar for, I drank plenty of beer, but I hadn't been to a bar. <laughs> yeah. And so she was like, Oh, great. So we went and sat and had a beer and it was very nice. And then it was time for the date to wrap up. And I walked her back to a car and I said, Irene, I am going to break the rules and I'm going to hug you. Yay. So this was, I'm going to say, fifth or sixth date. So it's a little forward to hug on the sixth date. But that's the kind of guy I am. You know, and I had a beer in me. My inhibitions were lowered. So I hugged her. And I have to do like a, I'm going to do like a tangent. Okay. So hold that in your mind. Yeah. So the tangent is when I was... 18 years old, I went to Australia and did some backpacking. And on the way back, I stopped in Hawaii. And in Hawaii, I fell asleep on the beach and I woke up and I had like a heat stroke almost. Yeah. I was sunburned and I was really dehydrated. 
and there was no water fountain around that I could find. All there was was like a stand that was selling like hot dogs and soda. And we say soda in the U.S. or pop, as we said, uh, growing up in Alberta. So I had to go wait in line for this soda. And when I finally got that soda and drank it, I felt like it's very hard to describe, like an explosion. You could feel the hydration going through my entire body. And it was cold too, right? And it felt like, I don't even know how to describe it. It It's like a very chemical biological reaction that just went through my whole body. And it was like, I don't know, like sparklers, like just, just an explosion. So when I hugged Irene, I had not touched another human being for over a year. I certainly hadn't hugged anybody, but I hadn't touched another person for a year (gasps) because there was no one to touch. I'm not going to touch the person. I talked to people at the store or whatever, but you're not going to touch anybody. So I hadn't touched a human being for a year. Oh, my God. So when I hugged her, I had that same feeling just wash over my body. It was overwhelming. This was a fairly chaste hug. It was just like. I just put my arms around her and hugged her and like our torsos touched. It wasn't uh, like a, like a very, you know, sexy hug particularly, but just feeling a body, I hadn't expected it. And I had that same feeling and my adrenaline was pumping. My heart was pumping and we said goodbye and she got in the car and I got my car and started driving home. And after driving for about two minutes, my hands started shaking and I felt I'd had such an adrenaline rush. It's a little bit like if you've been in a car accident or something and afterwards you're like kind of coming You're in down. shock. Like, yeah. Yes. I had to pull the car over and stop because I was shaking too much and it wasn't safe to drive. Oh uh, and it took me about five minutes to recover before I could. But I still was actually even talking about it right now. I'm getting like a like a sense memory. Of it. Yeah. It's making it's making me emotional just watching you. Yeah. Talk about it. Yeah. And there was emotion to it, but there was also, and this is why this is a punchline of this story is physiology. I knew intellectually that people need to be touched, but I experienced it. You absolutely need human touch. And, and that, that hug really through my body really reacted the same way that when it had needed that water, when, when I had heat stroke, you know? And that's my story. You need you you need touch. I wouldn't recommend not touching someone for a year to get that experience, but that was sort of the silver lining yeah. of the entire story is the memory of that hug is probably more vivid to me than the entire year that happened before. Yeah. And we're still going out. We've gone out for like two years now. Uh, I love her. We get along great. Oh, I'm so But happy. that's how we met. Yeah. I don't think we appreciate how much the pandemic and the lack of human contact hurt people and how much that will reverberate, I think, for years. I'm sure there's some people who still haven't been touched and we're three years in. Maybe. I mean, I know there's people, I mean, if you have like an immune deficiency or something, I really feel for those people. And it's why, not to get political, but it's why I get mad that people won't wear masks because it's like... I know it's a pain in the butt, but it like enables other people to go out who maybe are have a more uh, are more at risk of dying from COVID if they caught it than you are. Yeah, you know? yeah, of course. Um, but I mean, I understand why people don't want to wear masks because nobody wants to hear about it. And it's also interesting too. Like, I understand why nobody. I don't think there will ever be like a great COVID novel or movie 
that like sums up this big collective experience we went through because nobody wants to hear about it. Yeah, well, exactly. That's the thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I Um, think your story, I think it it is amazing. It is amazing. (laughs) And I wish people could see you because I could feel what you were talking about just watching you tell that. But I think they'll be able to hear it in your voice as well. But I also think it was very funny and it's really (laughs) happy like it's, it ends happy. It ends. It ends happy. Yeah. yeah. And I'm yeah. sorry you had to go through all of that sadness to get to that happy ending. Well, it was certainly a gauntlet, you know. And it's interesting what life throws at you. But I do think, like honestly, not to be like Pollyanna-ish. Like I've had a charmed life, and this was really just. Like I say, I don't even feel like I've had more sadness in my life than other people. I've had less, but it just was all concentrated at <laughs> <like> one time. <laughs> so I guess hopefully I got it over with and I can just have a happy life from now on. That'd be Knock nice. on wood. <laughs> Knock gods, wood, exactly. The guys just decided to catch you up. Is that yeah. Paul guy? He's been happy yeah. for quite some time. Yeah. Oh, gosh. We forgot to balance the ledgers. It's like you forgot to make your payment. Yeah. I mean, the other part of it that I think is interesting is I do think the Victorians were onto something. There's something about this sort of very chaste dating that does make when you actually have some physical contact with somebody maybe more special than it would be otherwise. Yeah. I don't know, again, if I would recommend it, but it was an interesting experience. Well, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that ended with you guys being together, (laughs) that you're still together. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you so much for coming on Happy, Funny, Amazing and telling us that trifecta happy funny and amazing story (laughs) oh it's like i got oh it's like i got bonus points you do all three (laughs) i really appreciate it and what a great story of human resilience i love those types of stories so thank you paul it was so nice to see you my pleasure thank you for having me on the show joanne you're welcome all right (laughs) bye Bye bye-bye i reached paul at his home in sunny la where he's still living and working as a writer and showrunner And I think based on his story, it goes without saying, get out there and hug someone, people. Well, (laughs) get permission first, but then go out and hug someone because I think we all need it right now. And if you're enjoying Happy, Funny, Amazing, please consider subscribing, liking, or leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts or share it with your friends on social media. Your support means the world to me and it really helps this podcast grow. A big thank you to John Bartman for the music, to Judy Holm and Paul Mather for sharing their amazing stories, and to you for tuning in. I hope you have a happy, funny, and amazing week. Bye.